Hey, so just like when we did the, the marriage thing, I want to do the same thing where I want to read through the questions that we have here on the front end just to be able to kind of give you a sense of what the questions are we're going through. So in case you're thinking as you're hearing us answer one question, oh man, I want to ask this before we're done, you can kind of have a frame of reference on the front end of, oh, that's, that's coming, that's two, three, four more questions down or whatever. Uh, as well as just kind of last time we kind of tried to work our, our way through the questions that were submitted through the envelope anonymously and then afterwards, uh, for those of you who weren't here when we did the, the marriage night like this as well, then on the back end, uh, we allowed if anybody wanted to, you know, actually ask a question um, that they felt comfortable asking in front of everybody else. Uh, you know, so if we can kind of keep to that format, that's great. By the same token, uh, this is an informal time, so if in the midst of addressing you know, what we're talking about after having even heard the questions. If you want to pause or, you know, interrupt or actually ask a question, please feel free to do that. You know, if you're looking for more specifically, um, you know, on that specific subject, maybe something that we're not addressing or hitting, you know, in any way we can help. We just want to try and, you know, make ourselves as available as possible. And we certainly don't have all the answers, uh, but you have the same Holy Spirit and copy of the Word of God, and you've received the same calling that we received uh, to do uh, what we did with our three girls uh, to be able to care for them and raise them and see them launch. So uh, God's given you that same gifting and that same calling. So, but hopefully we can share some things that'll be helpful. And I just want to say that I'm proud of all of you who took the time to be here tonight because that says something about you. That in and of itself uh, indicates uh, your desire of interest and care and concern that you would take the time uh, out of your schedules and do what it takes to be here for this time, and uh, that speaks volumes, and I think that makes the Lord blessed and proud. It makes me proud to know you guys and to see you doing this here tonight. So let me read through the questions that were submitted that we're going to kind of work our way through. The first one says, how to be a godly mom. The second one, how would you describe your parenting style, uh, different forms of discipline that you used, how to handle a child with attitude and strong will. Nobody has that, right? How to protect your child but not coddle them. How to prioritize sex with kids. How to not discipline out of anger. How to minister to your kids at all different ages. How to regulate screen time in a world full of technology. How to be a present parent, the idea being not distracted, engaged. Uh, and how to not stress out uh, at the world continuing to fall apart while raising our kids in it. So uh, those are the questions we got here as far as submission that we'll work our way through. So the first one, hashtag Trish, how to be a godly mom. <laughs> um, it's super vital that you have your quiet time every day. Um, it changes as when, of course, they're newborns. It's easy when they're sleeping, but when you put them down for a nap, that is so vital because if that's not happening, you're going to fail every day. Um, you need the Lord. You need, your life needs to be surrendered to the Lord so that you can be the kind of mom, the type of mom that your child actually needs. And I would say um, when they're napping, don't worry about the wash. Um, that was a huge distraction for me is just the house itself. I'm a neatnik. Everything had to be in its place, even down to their toys had to be in the proper outfits that they came in when they were bought to back into all their places. Everything had to be cleaned. I'm also a nurse, so everything had to be wiped down. I didn't want anything sticky, um, and it could consume me. And I realized quick when they were little, I needed to prioritize having my quiet time with the Lord. And then um, I was a much better mom because of that. So I, I'd say that's very, very vital. Hang out with other like-minded mom, like moms who are parenting the same way that you are. It'll encourage you, um, won't pull you down. And um, come to church, be faithful in church, involved at church. And I think those things will help guide you. And I'd add, too, as far as just by way of looking for something as a reference point, too, you know, Proverbs 31 isn't in the Bible by accident. You know, the Holy Spirit gave an entire chapter there of God basically raving about this 
you know, woman who was a virtuous woman, and there's some really great stuff in Proverbs 31. We just finished going through the book of Proverbs. We're in Ecclesiastes now, but if you read through the book of Proverbs as he's describing there in chapter 31, certainly there are some wonderful attributes described regarding being a godly woman as far as a wife, but in that same chapter, he also mentions numerous things in regards to how she relates to her children. Um, and ultimately the point where, remember at the end, it talks about how her children rise up and call her blessed uh, and how they actually come to great admiration towards her as a mom. And, and in connection to that, and I could probably say this you know, seven more times tonight, I think this applies in that same category, a lot more is caught than is taught. And so uh, one of the best ways to not only be a parent generally, be a godly man, be a godly you know, mother is just to model and to realize that even if you're not intentionally trying to model, your kids will scrutinize your example. And the older you, older your kids get, that's gonna happen more and more and more and more and more. Um, so just recognize that, you know, recognize that what your kids see in you is what they're gonna emulate, what they hear in you, what they see in your disposition, all those kind of things. Um, as a lady, the way you relate to your husband, right, that, that's going to be huge. You don't respect your husband, your kids aren't going to respect him as a dad. And, and they pick up on those kind of things. Uh, the way that you view marriage, you know, they, they hear things. So I think that's just really crucial to realize as you just seek to be a woman of God, that can have a huge impact, you know, in obviously a very wonderful, positive way. And I look to this day still, and I, it's a pleasure to be able to watch some of my daughters now emulating some of the things that I, I, I know they picked up on just being raised in our home and raised by her. And it's, it's cool to be able to watch that now. Uh, but on the other side of that, be careful of also remembering that. And that works both ways. You know, same thing with us as fathers is a lot of our example is hugely powerful and influential. And our kids will remember a lot more of what they saw and they observed, per se, than what they heard and what was, you know, taught to them. So that, that power of example, I think, is really huge there as well. Yep. Also, let them see you having your quiet time because then they'll realize how important that is. And you're teaching them as they're old enough, you're going to, you're teaching them how to have that devotion time. Um, so it, I think that's really, you know, they want to grow up watching mom and dad have their devotions. That's huge. And um, it teaches them as well because they're watching you every day. Awesome. All right. Uh, we move on to the next one. Next one says, how would you describe your parenting style? You mind if I start on that one? So I, I, I definitely have a, a firm conviction in regards to this where I, I am a much more, and we were as we worked together as parents, much more relational-based rather than rule-based. Um, people take all different approaches to parenting. We had different you know, friends, both unsaved as well as people who knew the Lord as well, and other people that we observed and noticed, and again, you know, to each his own. I mean, God's given you stewardship. You need to do what you feel is the right thing before the Lord, but we knew people who were a lot more, I would say, and again, I'm using these terms relatively, that were a lot more rule-based. I mean, it was all about controlling everything about their kids' lives, you know, down to the degree of, you know, you have 28 minutes on your tablet. And you, I mean, just, it was like, there were all these, like, man, I, that's like the Mosaic Law, 613 rules. I'm like, how do you keep track of all that stuff? And it, it was, it just seemed like there was a lot of, like, all these different, uh, just the way that they functioned. And look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having rules and boundaries we did in our home as well, but but I just felt like my calling as a parent was to focus much more on building relationship, healthy, proper, appropriate parent-child, authority, submission, direction, obedience, just proper understanding, and that my kids knew that I loved them and that I didn't want to just control their lives like a constant police officer. Uh, because if all you do is just constantly police officer your children, as soon as they get out from under your authority, whether it's they're away from home at school or at a friend's house or whatever, all they're thinking is freedom. 
and, and finally, you know, the control freak is not over dominating my life and there are no rules. And, and so, again, there's often been said before, rules without rebellion, uh, or rules without relationship breed rebellion. And so we just really tried to be very strong intentionally to make sure our kids understood how much we loved them and that we cared about them and that we bonded with them and we spent time with them. And in the midst of that, I made sure and she made sure also that they also properly understood in this strong relationship how much we love you, we care about you. That is why we're also so committed to the calling of fulfilling the role of being a parent, which means we're not your buddy, right? We're your parent. And because we love you so much, I used to tell the girls all the time as they were getting older and, you know, the tension starts to happen. So I, would, I don't know how many times I would say to the girls, like, I promise I'm really not trying to make you miserable. I, I, I promise. I know that doesn't make sense right now. I'm not trying to make you miserable. I'm not, but what I'm trying to do is I have a, and, and it was their part, I know they hated the word, especially as it got closer. They're like, I have like this much time left to finish preparing you before I launch you. And children are, right, they're, they're arrows in the quiver. And arrows aren't meant to stay in the quiver forever. They're meant to be launched. Yes. I like an empty nest because there are benefits to that that you'll see. Just don't get a dog. Your dating Zumba comes back. So they're meant to be launched. And because they're meant to be launched, when they launch, you want them to fly straight and to hit the target, right? And so to me, the whole purpose was this relationship is important because I need to prepare you, to invest in you, to train you, to develop you. Like, I have a responsibility here. So there needs to be a proper understanding of authority and submission. I'm not trying to control you because I love you, honey, because we care about you. You need to trust I have more wisdom than you. This is my responsibility before God. My job is to cultivate, prepare your character, do what I can so you become a moral, spiritual responsible, productive adult. That was the goal. Again, that, that was kind of what we were aiming at. So whatever rules we had to a degree were mainly more geared towards, but very simplistic, but the main rule really was authority and submission and commands and obedience and no disrespect. I, I was huge on the, that, that was a disrespect, what was an intolerable thing for me in regards to that. But to me, that, that functional relationship thing and really building that good relationship, because what that does is, just like in any human relationship, we're much more receptive to somebody, right, if we have good relationship. It's the same thing with, with marriage, right? I mean, if, if you know your husband loves you tremendously and you've built good relationship, it's much easier to, you know, and you respect your husband, it's much easier than to cooperate and to function together, and, and that works both ways. So I think that in the same way with our kids, you, you can't replace that relationship dynamic. And if you go over rule-based and you are just trying to regulate behavior, th that to me that ended up, I, I saw that backfiring in a lot of families. So we really tried to build relationship, but make sure within that relationship, yes, there were rules, but there were basic understandings connected to those things, if that makes sense. Do you wanna add anything to that? And it's so easy when they're little, but as they get older, they kind there's like a season where they're like, I used to call it their dorm room. I'm like, where's where is she at? She's up in her dorm room. So I literally would go in there and just lay on the floor and just hang out in there because I'm like, I don't know what you're doing in here, but I'm I want to be with you. So I want to know what's going on. So I would even tell him, hey, you you know, I think she you know the girls really need their daddy. So I was like, you need to go in there and just I don't care if she wants you in there or not. Just go in there and lay on the floor. Just hang out and. Literally, it just, it always worked. They'd always up, end up opening up and talking. I mean, we had some of the greatest talks like in that, in that season and also car rides. Car rides, we were always, I mean, because we were heading back to York a lot or heading back to here. Um, so we always had some really deep conversations on the car rides too, so. Deeper than deep. <laughs> <laughs> really deep. Yeah, and, and, and one of the biggest things she said to me very early on, and I have to give her all the credit for this, and I really feel like it was honestly just for you guys, a prophetic word from the Lord, especially if you have a daughter, but I'm sure the same works in the converse way if you know, you're a mother and you have a son, is she said to me, listen, to the degree you build a good, strong relationship with the girls, 
and you set the bar real high, that's going to weed out all the weirdos and the knuckleheads and it's going to allow them much more quickly when they start coming to age where they're desiring, you know, romantic companionship, they're always going to compare everybody to their dad. And they're going to always, you know, basically very quickly be like, oh my gosh, compared to my dad, like this guy's. And look, that's, I don't think that's a bad thing, you know. So to build a good relationship with your daughters, guys, and to set that standard very high, how to treat a lady, you know, the way that you, you know, handle it, just who you are, letting her see what it means to be an authentic, godly man in the same way as a mom. You know, you set that bar real high, I think the same thing happens. You know, uh, he, your son's going to look at you as a woman, as a wife, and as a mother in the same way. You know, he's going to look at other gals and hopefully that will help kind of, you know, kind of set a standard that kind of helps a little bit. And again, that ties back to that relationship thing, you know, just really building relationship, being on a good level with your kids where, you're, you know, you're connecting with them. They know that you love them because then when you have to exert some control and discipline and do those kind of things, there's an understanding that's coming out of relationship and out of love, not just because you annoy me, I'm trying to control you. It just, it comes out of, no, because I love you and care about you and we have this relationship, I'm just trying to do my part in the process here, you know? And I, and I think that just really, really helps. And you, the older they get, the more, like Trish said, you're gonna want relationship because the biggest thing you want is for your kids to never stop talking, right? When you're young, sometimes you, please stop talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when they get older, talking there's trouble <laughs> right so you don't you don't want them to shut down because that's when you know complications happen because they need your wisdom because the parenting d dimension goes from when they're born it's complete 100% control right because I'm 150 pounds more than you and I'll crush you if you resist me and so it's complete control you don't you know you don't communicate and negotiate with a toddler I just you don't reason with kids at a certain age level. But when they move out of the house and they completely launch, and now the girls are all married, I'm not supposed to control anything. I'm doing something wrong if I'm trying to have any control over my children anymore. So the pendulum goes control, counselor. Control, counselor. So as the process goes, it's all about control, no counseling with a little kid, no conversating, it's just, but then as you go through, the control starts to diminish and you start talking more, counseling more, because then what starts to happen? They start to, well, why that? And how come? And, and you can get frustrated over that or you can realize as a parent, part of your job, Deuteronomy 4, 6, Ephesians, it's to be a teacher. And so don't miss those teachable opportunities by being annoyed why they say, well, why or how come? And I understand there's a boundary with like questioning your authority or just not wanting to take no. And sometimes that is the teachable moment. The reason is because I said no. You, you, there's nothing more for you to understand. I have more wisdom than you do. You're just going to have to trust my wisdom here. And that is an answer sometimes. But don't miss the opportunity to educate and to train and to teach them. That's how you develop their conscience. So they learn how to make decisions as well because you want them to learn how to be good decision makers because that's part of what their you know, training is so they know how to make their own beneficial decisions. How about different forms of discipline you used? Hmm. Yeah. Yes. So discipline for me was, I mean, you have these little infants and they're wonderful and then you got to start disciplining not long, like probably two, I want to say. I don't know what the age was. I don't know. Like it used, that will comes out quick. So the hardest thing for me was um, spanking because I grew up where, you know, I never saw that. I only saw it in a really bad way. So I really had a hard time spanking in love and I had to learn. I learned that from him. So um, half the time, I mean, it's so much easier to just react than respond. So I could totally spank them out of anger, but it was not accomplishing anything. So half of the time, I would give them, just go to your room, and then I would also go to my room because I would just need time with the Lord. Just, you know, just a couple minutes. Lord, help me to do this right. Help me to not do this in anger because it's not going to accomplish anything. There's going to be no fruit from it. 
and then to do this. And it's much, much harder to discipline in love. So then, you know, this is why you need to be spanked because there's a consequence to what you did. You disobeyed me. And then the spanking would happen. And then, um, so we did that for a season, but then obviously they grew out of that. We had a consequence box and mercy was in there. Um, so we would have uh, different things in there that they didn't, um, you know, of discipline, dis different forms of discipline, yeah, that they didn't like. Um, as, as they got older, you knew what hurt them. Um, it was um, keeping them home. You know, they weren't allowed to go out with friends, to go do anything, or to tech take taking technology away, whether that be Friday night was usually our um, fun night where we did um, junk food fiesta and movie night, so they would lose those, prior those privileges. Um, so all different kinds of forms, too. Um, you'll, you'll find what their love is and what hurts them most when it's taken away. It teaches them quickly. And, and always remember that, again, the whole concept of discipline implies something that's corrective and not punitive, right? You know, the, the punishment is one thing. We just, we kind of use terms interchangeably, but, you know, but punishment, you know, is something where, you know, wrath is coming down, you know. Uh, you know, discipline is something that's corrective in the sense of, Again, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, you know, about this many, many times, you know, one verse that's, you know, so picturesque, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. So again, the Bible indicates to us as parents, part of the understanding of a parent is to realize foolishness, it's bound up in the heart of a child. Uh, and we just may think little child, but honestly, that... That childish nature to a degree is continuing to kind of get weaned out of them as you're cultivating them until they become a legal, responsible, moral, you know, adult. Uh, and so there's always going to be that degree of foolishness. Even there's some of that childish foolishness in there when they're 10 and 12 and 14 and 17. And, you know, it's, it's, it's still there. And foolishness is bound up in their heart, but it says the rod of correction, a rod was an instrument, you know, that was used to exercise discipline. The rod of correction drives it far from them. So part of the parenting goal on top of other things, you know, teaching them, training them, part of that also is, you know, driving out of their life unhealthy character traits, driving out of their life foolish tendencies or, you know, just things of their sin nature that need to be checked, that need to be addressed. And we all, you know, have our different tendencies and areas of weakness. And so with one child, it may be, in a sense, you know, really focusing on them being, you know, overly stubborn or overly independent and try where the next child may be that they're way too passive and they just want everybody to do everything for them and, and, and they just, you know, they need motivation or whatever. So that, that can swing to either extreme because both are unhealthy, you know, tendencies within them. But understanding part of the parenting role is identifying that I, I can identify from my wisdom and from my understanding that we're imperfect people too. I can identify this is a tendency in your heart, in your character, in your nature, that's not good. That's not a healthy thing. And I don't want that to remain in your life. I don't want that to continue. And I don't want it to grow in your life. So I want through the rod of correction to drive that far from their life. Uh, and so, you know, to me, you know, I remember an occasion where I felt like one of my daughters, I'm, I'm going to use this analogy, it's probably not very good. I, I, I felt like they were my Romans 5 child, where I felt like they needed some perseverance, so therefore, at times, I would purposely, without them knowing, make them and let them struggle a little more. Because Romans 5 says that, you know, that perseverance develops character and character hope. But the thing it says that develops the perseverance first is trials, challenges, difficulties develop perseverance, and then perseverance develops character, and character brings about hope for our lives. So. I realize with one of my daughters, and to this day, it's still a mystery, they'll never know, that they need to struggle a little more. She needs to develop a little perseverance. She needs to get a little more perseverance because that is a character trait that needed to be developed. And so I think that's an important thing. Identify those things in your kids 
whether it's just their natural temperament bent or just sinful areas of their flesh that are weakness, and do what you can to you know, try and exercise discipline in a healthy way. It's not always a punitive thing, oh, you were so bad. Part of it is it's a training thing, you know, and I want to train you and cultivate you. So it's not always just the grievous bad behavior or the, you know, the, the rebellion or whatever. To me, that the, those, those required, the, the discipline met, to me, my discipline and our correction met the severity of the infraction, right? Because all sin is sin, but if I accidentally say a bad word, that's embarrassing. If I shoot someone, I'm going to be sitting in prison, right? So there is different degrees of severity to different infractions. So I think that's wise as well, is that you recognize, you know, what it is. To me, rebellion, disrespect, because that was like willful defiance. Like I expected my kids to mess up, but if there was a clear understanding and I saw willful defiance coming out towards me or towards their mom, or if they ever disrespected her, that, that was like major no-no for me because I would always say, nobody disrespects my wife and she was my wife before you were alive. And if you ever do that again, <laughs> things aren't gonna be good for your lifespan. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but I think it's important to, to recognize, and you gotta find what works with your kids. Some people... Some people are spankers. Some people find different. You got to find what works. We did different things in different seasons. I would say, too, as moms, because you're with them all the time, and um, it can get very exhausting. Like, I remember the season of disciplining was, I feel like that's all I am is the bad guy. I'm just disciplining, disciplining, and disciplining. And then I do remember, oh, my gosh, I can't remember the last time I've spanked somebody. Like, I finally think we're on the other side of this. So you do get there. But I just want to encourage you as moms, in, um, inconsistency breeds irresponsibility. And it can be a big inconvenience to stop what you're doing and do the teaching. Like if you've, had, if you've given them a command and you've walked past, they didn't do that command, whatever that might be, it's much easier, us moms, because we're do-it-all. You know, we wear 16 different hats. Oh, I can just finish it. I can do it much faster, much better than they could ever. No, it's inconvenient, but you're teaching them to be irresponsible. So you want to stop. Go get them wherever they are. Didn't I ask you to do this? What happened? And, and it's a teaching moment. So I just want to encourage you. It's very inconvenient, and it is for a season, but it does change. It, it does change, so. Yeah, and that's great. It's worth it. It's just worth it. Life because ultimately, if their boss tells them to do something, and they don't do it, that's not going to work at the job place, right? So, again, that's part of the whole cultivating, you're developing character, you're preparing them on top of, you know, helping them to do everything else, be submissive to authority, learn how to make decisions, you know, you know those kind of things. Uh, how about how to, I guess maybe in some ways we're kind of addressing that, a little bit of overlap, but how to handle a child with attitude and strong will. We didn't have any of those. But. <laughs> <laughs> you want to say anything on that or no? You just got to be consistent. Be consistent. Um, be con it's exhausting, but you got to pray and ask the Lord for strength and also that your heart stays in check, but you got to be consistent um, with them. Don't waver um, because they're going to one day, they, they're going to submit to you. They're going to respect you, and they're going to respect you even more if you don't cave and you be their mom, you be their dad. Like, you know, they're going to respect you more if you do it right. Yeah, my one answer to that too would be every single child has attitude and strong will. Mm -hmm. So w when somebody says, I have a strong will child, I always have to bite my tongue till it bleeds to when I say, everybody has a strong will child. <laughs> you know, since Adam, everybody has had, it may manifest itself in different ways, right? We had three different daughters. They all had very unique personalities. You know, one of our daughters would just tend to just open her mouth and say what just, and she was very, you know, open. And so that's a way of maybe expressing, you know, something, but you can have a strong will, you know, kind of thing too, where you have a sneaky child who they, in a little kind of stubborn, rebellious spirit, you know, kind of just sneak off and do their thing, you know, somewhere else type of thing. So uh, to try and reconcile, do I have a strong will child? Should I read that strong will child book? I 
they all have strong wills, and, and the bottom line is, is, again, we're trying to cultivate that will because what we're trying to, to help our parents or our children grasp is as they respond to our parental authority, that is the absolute best thing that you can do to hopefully bring them into a place where they're then able to yield and respond to God's ultimate authority over their life, right? You're the representation of God's authority in their life now, and they should understand that. Again, so that if you're building a relationship, they don't just think, you just want to control me. No, 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 no. The more you can help them to understand, it's not that I want to control you. I want to obey God. I've got to submit to God. I've got to answer to God. This is what God's word says I'm supposed to do. And are you going to be mad at me because I'm obeying God? Are you going to be mad at me because I'm trying to do what God's word says? And as they learn to respect our authority and submit to our authority at times by having to bend their will or their will even be broken... That prepares them for growing up, you know, being in a whatever school setting, a, a sports coach setting, a job setting, a, a civil, you know, uh, setting, you know, responding to a police officer or the government or whatever. So w- we just become the primary instrument in God's life that He uses, I think, to do that. And, and the biggest thing I would say is, like, don't let your weariness. And as Trisha's saying, like, you know, the, the frustration, the exhaustion of it, don't let that be a thing where you let their will just override yours. You, you got to do what you got to do to just at times not be liked, be firm, be consistent. And whatever it takes, right, whatever it took for God to break my will for me to get saved, he was committed to the process, and I'm sure glad he did it. <laughs> I'm sure glad that God broke my will as a human being and made me submit to him. My life is way better for that. And so whatever that looks like and takes in your child's life, you just, you gotta be committed to it. And if it's an occasion where, again, you gotta break their will in the moment where they're being stubborn or, you know, there, there were times when I would spank one of the girls and, you know, again, they're ladies. They could turn the tears on real quick. But I could see in their eyes, those are crocodile tears, and your will's not broken yet. So one more's coming until I could sense. Now, I'm not an advocate of child abuse. I'm not saying that you should beat your kid. That's not what I'm saying. But what I was looking for, especially when we were spanking, what's the purpose of spanking our child if it's not evoking a broken spirit? It's really just child abuse, if not. If I'm just whacking you because I'm frustrated because you disobeyed me, well, what makes me any different than just hitting any person out in society? The whole purpose was I wanted to evoke a broken spirit where I could see their spirit's been broken because then it could be, okay, honey, I love you. It's okay. We made a mistake. And then, and then all of a sudden, instantly afterwards, there's a broken spirit. There's a whole different disposition you can talk about it, you know, you can, you know, let them know that you love them and reinforce all that kind of stuff. But again, just that little something without a broken spirit. So whatever it takes to break their will sometimes, you, you just got to be committed to the process. And whether that's spanking or when they're getting older, just, you know, kind of staying persistent, I think that's, that, that's a big thing because you don't want them to exert their will against authority is never good. How to protect your child but not coddle them. I don't know. This is the hard one. Like, um, there, I do remember like, you know, they're just, they're under your, you know, with you all the time and they're under your wing. And then I just remember a certain age I was like, you know, when they'd come home from school or hanging out with their friends, um, I just was like, Oh, they're getting exposed to things that I didn't really want them to be exposed to. And it would, I remember thinking, Oh no, like I just wanted to pull them back in. Like, and I had to correct what they were told or what was taught so but that's the world like I I just remember thinking too I didn't want to shield them so much that when they were out in the world they fell so hard so it is a really a balance that you really have to ask the Lord to guide you and give you direction because especially now today um it's it's it is very hard like um because I don't know it's just so much easier like I just remember having the season of having them under and then it's like they're not under that covering anymore and you're like oh you know you're undoing all those things that they're learning and you know I'm sorry you have to be exposed to that that's a real bummer I didn't want you at this age to learn about that yet you know so those are those are um 
Those are hard, really hard things that just be in prayer, um, maybe certain guidelines as to whether they do sleep over at a friend's house or not. You know, those are things that you and your husband really go before the Lord and ask what the right thing is to do or not to do, you know. And he'll, he's faithful to guide you. Yeah. And I would say also keep in mind Jesus's way that he leads us as believers, uh, he saves us. And when he saves us, he doesn't save us and stop our heart and bring us to heaven. His life would be much easier if he could do that. Wouldn't imagine that? Save people, kill them, bring them to heaven. I mean, that, that would be very easy, but he saves us. And then he says, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. And so he leaves us here on the battlefield as a child of God, right? Who's the best parent? God is. God's raising children, right? And, and he leaves us in this world, and he, and he doesn't call us as Christians to isolation, to, to basically like go and live in up, you know, that's not what he calls us to do. He calls us to live among the world to be salt and to be light. And again, God's the best parent. And even though God's the best parent, he allows us to a degree to be exposed to the unsaved world and the things in the world. And he asks us through close relationship with him to be salt and to be light and to learn how to resist evil and to resist temptation by him teaching us, training us, developing us to be able to stand strong, to be able to understand how to make good decisions and process things. So however that, again, as Trish was saying, fleshes itself out with how you do that with your kids, what they're ready to do, what they can understand, those kind of things. But I would recommend that, again, and this is just a conviction thing, we to some degree allowed some of that to happen the entire time we were raising our kids. Because I just realized that one day they are going to be out from under my little, nice little Christian home bubble they're gonna be exposed to things. And if I don't allow them to learn how to some degree to be able to make decisions, to know how to say no to things, how to resist temptation, I'm doing them a real disservice. And if you just keep them in a little bubble and my kids are never going there, they're never exposing anything, they're never being at anybody's house, but you can do that. But that could really, I would just say this, that could really backfire on you. So I just caution you because you're not giving them a degree of reality because we all know as adults, are you living in a Christian bubble anymore? Right, you're not. And so it's all about, I think, just a balance in that and them learning and what we try to do with the girls at times, even in regards to when they got the age when they were able to start making decisions, helping them to learn how to make decisions. So sometimes that would become, I'd give them a little bit of freedom but it was under my authority. So if I saw they were starting to get in trouble, I could always step back in and protect them. Where there were times where I would say, look, here's the options. What, what do you want to do? This is what I think you should do, honey, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you make a decision here. And sometimes they would choose to make a decision that I didn't agree with. But I also realized, you know what? I, I need to let a little reality discipline, that's what I would call it, reality discipline. And by that, what I mean is it wasn't coming from me. It was the reality of when you make that kind of choice, this is probably what the outcome is going to be if you make that choice independently. Uh, and, and some of that was just allowing them to understand how to navigate interaction with you know, the world and, and the things of the world. So again, I don't think that's a cut and dry thing, but... I think there's a real balance you got to find there and you got to kind of navigate that and prep them because ultimately they're completely out from under your care. And you want them, again, the whole goal here I think is preparation, right? All those things contributing towards we're preparing, we're preparing, we're trying to help them so they stand and they do well because I wanted my kids to launch well as adults uh, and to be able to you know, navigate the best they could. How to prioritize sex with kids. You want to answer that? It's okay. <laughs> you just get creative. <laughs> um, you just, it's, it's just important um, because um, the enemy is always wanting to cause division. And um, I always feel like that's the glue that is for your marriage. Like, um, so I don't know, you just, it's hard because they can, we can idolize them. You know, I know I got to that point where I just 
thought they were perfect and wonderful and just wanted to die in their world. And I realized this is not healthy. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my walk with the Lord. It's not healthy for my marriage. He was here first, you know, and he needs to be, you know, the king of the castle. He's the one that I, um, and now here we are. They're gone. They don't care. <laughs> and it's just him and I staring at each other. I'm like, how do we do this again? So it's just important that you invest. I, I definitely say date your spouse while your kids make that party. Get a babysitter, get, get your Gigi, your grandma, whoever. Um, pay someone for a few hours to just babysit. It's important to keep dating. Um, make that special go away, special anniversaries. We've tried to do that like our um, 25th, our 10th, our, like a big year make it important to go away because it's really like, you know, the first couple days we would just talk about the kids and then we're like, okay. By the fourth day, we're like, okay, we, I, I can do this. We know how to relax and, I, oh, wait, I can read a book. Wow, without any... I mean, you just start to, like, enjoy one another and it's like you're dating again because it does come so quickly that they're gone. Um, and I know it feels like forever. So I would say um, just... just you know um, if it's got to be during the day when they're at school, hey, you got more energy. It's during the day. You know, there's no rule that it has to be right at night. You just, whatever you're comfortable with between you and your spouse and the Lord, go with it. I'm just going to say amen to that. <laughs> Especially the daytime thing. Any parent understands daytime, nap time, whatever you do, you get creative. Go outside and play. And I'll say, too, like, if that's a struggle for, I know for women it's different because our hormones are all over the place. I remember, like, nursing my kids, bringing them home. Like, I just was like, I'm all theirs now. And I remember, like, that's a really wrong attitude, you know. Like, so just just be in prayer and ask the Lord. If you're struggling, God, I, I need your help. Like, I did choose to marry him. Remember those vows. Um, so just um, pray and, and ask the Lord, and he will direct your steps. He's so faithful and gentle in leading us, and um, yes, so. Let me just add one thing to that, because I think it is, is very important. One of the biggest things that will determine prioritizing sexual expression in relationships still, even while you have kids and figuring out how to navigate that, is if your attitude is proper about sex in your marriage which is, as a Christian, your whole ethic, my whole ethic as a Christian is servanthood, right? Worldly sex is serve me, gratify me. We use even horrible statements like, I got a piece of that. So everything in a worldly mindset of sex, and for those of us who made the mistakes of being premature sexually active, we even built wrong ideas in our heads that sex was about utilizing another person for our gratification. And listen, to some degree, yes, God's, that, but that's the secondary effect. It's the blessing, really, of serving another person, and what a great reward. You serve another person in sexual expression, and you get gratified in the process. But the whole heart, attitude, honestly, in every area of love as a Christian, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so in every area of our marriage, there should be a degree of servanthood. And I just want to emphasize this concept of to prioritize it while you have kids. To me, the answer to that is maintaining a servant-hearted attitude, that you need to prioritize that for one another as a husband and a wife. And part of that is it's one of the ways that we lovingly serve one another and that we protect one another and that we care about one another. Uh, and that we realize that that works both ways. You know, there's, there, there's a give and a take that works, you know, both ways in that aspect of the marriage relationship. You know, there are times where one person has a desire, the other person may not, so you deny yourself to lovingly serve the other person. There are also times where you may have a desire and your spouse doesn't, and you say no to yourself instead of selfishly demanding that you need to be gratified because you're not going to die if you don't have sex for a day or two, right? That's called food, water. So it works both ways. The Bible says submitting to one another in the fear of God, that works both ways. Submit yourself to yield to gratify your spouse. It also means sometimes you submit and choose to say, you know what, I I'm okay, I can, I can wait a day or two and, or three. Or, and so it works both ways. But I do think it is crucial, as Trish said, just that is the glue to your marriage, and you don't want something like having children, though there could be tiredness to disrupt something that is distinctive to the marriage relationship. 
we did how to discipline out of, and not out of anger. I think we kind of touched on that. How to minister your kids at different age levels. I think the Lord will give you wisdom, but I feel like there are seasons, like if your oldest is hitting the teenage years, that you feel like they're consuming more of your time. That's okay. There's grace in that because they just require more of you. Um, and the Lord will give you wisdom. I used to just pray that their, um, that their sins would be found out and that I would be able to be sensitive to what's going on in their lives. So there may be seasons like um, that you're just more teaching with that one at that time because that's a season that he or she really needs you and it'll it'll balance itself out you know if you have two or more you know it just it just it always does um i don't have i I would also add just keep in mind what their understanding level is think from a children's ministry perspective right i always use the statement with children's ministry because i have a real real strong conviction of its importance that it's not child care it's children's ministry. I think if more people saw what we do with kids as children's ministry rather than childcare, people would really take serious the opportunity to be a fourth and fifth grade teacher or first and second grade, that it's children's ministry. And you should teach differently in children's ministry if you're teaching the fourth to sixth grade class or you're teaching like the kindergarten class, right? Digestible portions of truth. You, you wanna, you know, you're, we're all feeding the same thing. Right when your kids are little, you just cut up the same food and you make it small so they don't choke on it. We're all feeding upon the Word of God, so as your kids are growing, just pay attention. You know what age are they? What's their reason level? Are they five year old? Or are they ten years old? And so reason with them, teach them, train them, but meet them where they're at. You know, and, and I think that's another way too that as they're progressing, realize what they can handle more. Their conscience is awakened now; they understand. So therefore, maybe they need a little bit of explanation and not just, this is my decision. Because maybe they're longing for a little more of, well, can I understand why, Dad? Or can I understand why? Oh, okay. And, and so they're at an age, again, you want to pay attention to that. And I think teach and train accordingly, just paying attention to where they're at. And that means you got to adjust with different seasons of parenting and realize maybe the past season isn't the same way to keep operating. And you got to kind of grow with them and and adjust in that way. Uh, how about how to regulate screen time in a world full of technology? Don't do it. <laughs> um, that's so hard. That's super hard. I, I don't know. Like, I just, I just, to me, it's sad how much access they have to technology. And I just think if you can hold out as long as you can, like our girls were, um, our oldest was begging for an iPhone. That's all we heard about. And um, she didn't get one until she was in high school. But she was also going to a public school, which was brand new for us. So I, don't, I just would say hold out as long as you can. Um, and then pray for wisdom. Like I have one friend who their phones don't go to bed with them. And I love that, that all the phones stay downstairs. So because you don't know what they're doing in the m- middle of the night. Also, have covenant eyes. When they're on the screens, I'm telling you, they can be one area and something can pop up. It's just so sad how um, accessible things are on the screen. So I would really pray and ask the Lord, Have maybe if there is a computer for the home, it's not down in the basement. It's right in the middle of the living room or right in the middle of the kitchen where you are, are you know, you can walk by at all times where it's not, you know, private where they're isolated. Um, pray for wisdom and how and what your family should do. And I know God will guide you and give you direction. That was um, definitely a battle as they got into high school. Um, that got harder. Um, and it's just, it's just hard now. It's, like, yeah. it's everything. And, and, and we're in a generation now where it's way more common and prevalent. Again, when we think of like, you know, Abby didn't get an iPhone until she was in high school. Part of that was like iPhones were just kind of starting to become the thing. <laughs> so it's, that, that was a tough thing too, where it's like, well, I had to wait all the way to high school. How come she's getting to that? So you try and tell your kid nowadays, you're not getting an iPhone until you're in ninth grade, buddy. You know, God bless you. I, that's going to be a tough sell in this current generation, you know, just because of how prevalent technology is. You're going to have to figure out as a parent, you know, how you navigate that. I think the biggest thing is, is the Bible tells us to be innocent towards evil and so if there were an area where I would exercise, regulate, exactly what that question says, 
you just got to regulate it as a parent. You know, you need to be involved because of the understanding that there is so much, right? I'm not telling you something. There is so much sick, disgusting, gross opportunity to go down so many dark tunnels with technology that you just, you got to accept it for what it is. I mean, it gets used way more, schools, everything else. You can't act like, oh, this isn't the stone age anymore. It's not, it is, it is. We're in an age of tremendous technology. So you just got to learn how to teach stewardship and how to manage it. And that, you know, that you regulate to a degree to protect the kids, um, that they realize that this isn't just something cool and fun, that they're, they realize this is something that I need to be involved. You know, again, I think if you give too much freedom in that area, I'm telling you now, both from personal experience and from talking to parents constantly, this is an area, if you give too much freedom, you're going to lose the battle. You're going, it's going to backfire on you. If there's an area where I would say be tighter on the regulation, that's probably one area because that's an area that to me scares me more than what did your friend talk to you about? That's an area where there's way more avenues for your kids to get you know, suck down really, you know, unhealthy paths. How to be a present parent. Got one or two more just to, to wrap up here because it's, it's right at 8 o'clock. Um, I don't know. That's, I would just, uh, you know, remind yourself that the Lord's your boss and, you know, that you, it's easy to just check out or it's easy to just put something on and put a TV show on and not take the time to play. I tell you, it goes so fast and I would do anything anything to sit and play, um, Barbies or any of those things right now. Like, I, I, I remember having older moms in my life say, it goes fast, and I used to look at them like, are you crazy? I have three under five right now. It doesn't feel fast. I feel like I'm spanking every hour, and I'm like, like I, there's wash that doesn't end. It's like the snow, like shoveling snow. Why it's snowing? It doesn't go away. Like, I just remember being stressed out, and, um, and now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, Lord, if I could only just sit and I'd play all day. Like I just, I'd read to him all day. Like you just, you do realize in different seasons, oh, if I only, you know. So if any, if I could encourage you in anything, be present because before long they're gone and um, they'll remember the times that you did that, like pouring into them and just loving on them right where they're at. Like um, it's, it's just a really precious season. So I would definitely encourage you know, ask the Lord, give you wisdom. How can I be present? I don't know how to do this. He wants, you know, having a son. I don't know how to do this in his world. Well, you know, the Lord, give me wisdom. How can I do this in his life? Help, you know, help me. He'll be faithful to guide you and show you. One of the things I would add to that to help with that, I think, is you need to come to a place of conviction as a parent where you see parenting as a ministry and the most important ministry that's in your entire life. Now, I'll never forget when I was back at, uh, when we were in York, Pennsylvania, and I was at Calvary Chapel of York, and one of the, you know, to me, it was one of the hugest compliments, you know, somebody ever shared, and a, a staff worker came over and just, you know, I forget exactly what she said, something along the lines of, like, you know, Mr. Marmier, I just want to tell you, she said, I can just tell that you're, like, a, like you're a very involved parent. Now, I wasn't even around the school very much, so I didn't know she meant that as far as, like, well, you're seeing me around, and she said, no, she said... For some reason, she said, I can tell because of what your girls are like. It just seems like you're very involved in their lives. And I said to her, I said, you know, to me, that is probably one of the most beautiful comments, compliments I've ever heard. And I said to her, I said, parenting ministry to me is my absolute favorite ministry. And I said, my mentality is, and this was kind of the way I tried to navigate with the three girls, is my thought was, if all I ever do to succeed in my entire life, and I used to tell her this all the time, if all I ever do is manage to pastorally shepherd and raise three kids who love the Lord and genuinely know the Lord and are moral, responsible, productive, you know, healthy adults, and I completely fail as a pastor, I'm ready to die. Because anybody can pastor the church, but only one guy was called by God's design 
to be the father to those kids and to have that role and that privilege and that opportunity and that I was the best suited person for that. And look, sometimes when you have challenges with your kids, always remember, God gave you that son. God gave you that, oh, he didn't give that son or that daughter to somebody else. He didn't make a mistake. He gave you that child that he knit together in his mother's womb specifically because he knew you were the best possible person to be able to raise them, to be the absolute best individual that God intends for them to be and to walk out their calling. And so for, for me, what being a present parent looked like was this, just speaking from my own heart, I was on 24-7. That was just kind of a mindset that I had in my mind, which meant in the same way, right, when, when I went from being single to being married, when I became married, everything about how you live single had to go out the door. Married people can't act like single people, and single people aren't supposed to act like married people, right? So it's a paradigm shift. When I became a parent, I couldn't act like I wasn't a parent anymore, which meant that my primary role and responsibility 24-7 was parenting, 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 which meant if I was at a function like this and we all had our kids here, it wasn't about having a conversation with Tommy or Brian. It was about paying attention to my kids. That's what it was about. It was about, I, I got to pay attention to my kids. And so things like social interact, everything else was secondary. I didn't care if I had a lot of friends. I didn't care. If I was out somewhere, it wasn't being distracted doing this or doing that, or if we were to, and I think that's an area where sometimes parents can kind of disconnect from being present is so many adults, and I'm saying this from an observation standpoint, are so stinking busy and they're so driven with their careers and their pursuits and their achievements. And we talk about regulating our kids' technology. I watch tons of parents, their faces at their phone, they're doing all this stuff, they're all over social media. And if instead some of that attention was redirected to paying attention to their child, it's a lot more training, development, correcting, guiding, helping them would happen in a whole lot of other ways. And sometimes some of that gets missed because we're so busy wanting to, and listen, here's the thing. If we didn't have kids, you can be a workaholic. If you didn't have kids, <laughs> you could do this or do that or climb that ladder, or do, you know, but you got kids. So for a season while you have kids, it just depends how important is your role as a parent. To me, it was like, that is my number one. I want to be a great husband, and I want to be a great dad. And all the other things just became secondary. And so I think as you choose your priority with that, that will really incentivize how like present, engaged you are as far as the time you commit to being with your kids. How about, real quick, how not to stress out in the world that's continuing to fall apart while you're raising your kids in it? I don't ever watch the news. I just can't, mentally, I just know I can't handle it. I will not be able to sleep at night. So I rely on my hubby to know what's going on in the world and if we're safe and what's, you know, who we should vote for and everything. Because <laughs> it just, all of it stresses me out and I don't want to be consumed with all of that. I want to be consumed with what the Lord's calling me to do. And so, um, yeah. For such a time as this, Right Again, it's not a mistake what generation I'm living in, your kids are living in. And I know, look, I, I apologize. I feel bad for my grandchildren having to grow up in this disgusting, dark, very convoluted world. And, and it is. But, he, but here's also the thing. You can get so consumed and caught up in that, or you can also realize for such a time as this, this is the generation we're living in. This is the generation you're raising kids in, that none of that's a mistake, right? The Bible's very clear. The world is going to get horribly dark and disgusting right up into the day of the return of the Lord. You know, as was in the days of Noah, so shall be in the coming of the Son of Man. The days of Noah were pretty bad. And some generation, right, some generation has to be that generation that lives through all the filth, like in the days of Noah, until the 
church is raptured out of here. We all know some generation has to do it, just none of us want to be that generation, <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that the quandary? It's like some generations, come quickly, Lord. Well, some generations got to be the really dark generation. I just don't want it to be my generation. <laughs> this is the time period you're in. I would say don't hyperfixate on it. Just raise godly kids, make them the next Daniels, make them the next Esthers, make them the next Ezra's, you know, make them the next Moses, make them the next Paul the Apostle, and look at it as a challenge. You know what? I'm going to fire out into this world as the devil's firing fiery darts into the world and trying to destroy it and burn it all up. I'm going to shoot out of my quiver some godly young men and some godly young women who are going to impact this generation until the Lord comes. Uh, and so I would say don't let it consume you and stress you out. Maybe let it motivate you. Just take it in a totally different perspective and look at it as, hey, what an incredible opportunity to be able to do ministry, you know, in, in a much greater and a more effective way. I want to be courteous as far as the kids needing to be released from there. So uh, we, we should probably cap off our time because I told them, you know, around eight-ish uh, we would wrap up. If you have any other questions that you want to ask, uh, we're not going anywhere. So why don't we at least just allow the kids for sake of courtesy to be able to be dismissed and back with us. And if you got other questions you want to ask, certainly we're here, we're uh, available, we're happy to do that. Is that fair? All right.